How you guys doing? Sweet. So hey, we're talking on the Father. Amen, amen. We've been in a series. Uh, this month is the Father. Next month is the Son. And the following month is the Holy Spirit. So our God is three in one. Everything always breaks down when you try to talk about the Trinity. You know, people like to use water. They're like, you know, it's water. It evaporates. What's the third thing water does? Ice. Holy Spirit, Father, Son. There it is, the Trinity. Um, anyway, all those break down. But we've been really blessed because Alan brought the good word, then I shared, then last week Mike shared, and then today I get to share again. And it's just good to talk about our Father. Um, it's a topic that, in my view, doesn't get enough uh, you know, stage because often people just feel really comfortable around Jesus and sometimes the Father not as comfortable. Yeah? All right, so Father, we just say thank you that you are not just Jesus' Father, but you're our Father. And thank you that that makes us sons and daughters. I pray, God, that today you would just, God, remove the clutter and that we would see that we have a Father who's been for us, never against us, and that has always had a seat at the table. God, we thank you that you love us just as we are, never as we should be. We pray, Lord, that that revelation, God, would just rest on us as a church community, that our greatest identity is we're loved by God. Amen and amen. So... I was trying to think of like a way to word this, but the picture that was coming to mind is like a stool. And, you know, the stool has three legs representing the Trinity. But if you were missing one of the legs, that's going to make it really challenging to use the stool. It doesn't mean you can't use it. It's just going to make life or that little time on that stool a lot harder. And in my view, when we don't have the father on one of those legs, our life's a lot harder than it needs to be. Things are a lot more challenging. It can still work, but there's something about when the father leg gets established in someone's life that things begin to change, things begin to shift. Ways that you, you weren't even seeing life or even seeing yourself start getting put in there. It's a good day. And so my prayer, guys, is that this revelation that we have a father would just rest on us as a community. Can you put up that slide? So right here, you know, Jesus is the way, right? But the Father is actually the destination. So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus was literally trying to bring all of us to the same Father, to his Father, to our Father, you know, to the Father of all fathers, and so sometimes we can get stuck just on Jesus, and I'm like, why would anyone ever speak against that? Get stuck away. <laughs> but he's taking you to somebody to meet your dad, to meet your father, to meet the one who's been from the beginning. Guys, I believe our deepest need as humans is to learn to live intimately with our father, with our dad. It's a deep longing in us, which is why Jesus said, when you pray, He's like, hey, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. When you pray, go into the inner room, your closet, shut the door, and pray to your father. 
Pray to who? Your father, who is in secret. And your father's going to see in secret, and he's actually going to reward you. Guys, I want to say there's something about spending time with your father. And maybe, let me just say this. It, it took me a while because sometimes you can evaluate your quiet time. Like, I don't know if it was that good. Is anything happening? Da, da, da. Maybe your father is just excited to be there with you. Maybe the quiet time's not always about you. Maybe it's about God. <laughs> I mean, I'm a dad of seven, man. I love it when one of my kids just sits down and be like, Dad, can I talk to you? I'm like, yo, what's up? Because <laughs> most of the time you don't want to or you're busy. You know, my older ones, my younger ones are like, Dad. I'm like, I got to hide sometimes. <laughs> They're trying to get me. <laughs> it's like the opposite, you know. I said this in the first sermon, uh, Jesus had two primary missions while he was on the earth. One was to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. He was saying, Father's world, I'm bringing that down here, and I'm showing you how heaven works, how heaven thinks, how heaven treats one another. But his second mission was to introduce Father to humanity. Isn't that amazing? Guys, before then, guys, people didn't address God as Father. They was like, you know, Yahweh, God, Lord, which may be your life, but he's saying, I'm bringing this intimate, this intimate terminology that you can call him daddy, Abba, that you can call him father. Mm-mm-mm. Guys, Jesus, did, Jesus understood his whole life in relation to a dad, to a father, and which is why this is our starting point, our ending point, and our present point, that we're sons and daughters of God. Guys, we don't graduate to a higher place. I just, I, I'm sorry if I'm busting any bubbles today. There's no like higher place in God to go than to know that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you are accepted in the beloved, that you are adopted, that you belong to him. There's no higher place. You're not gonna max out like, oh, I got this now. It's like, you don't. This is it. First John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you, that you should be called children of God. Or another version, see how great a love the Father has lavished upon you, that you should be called a children of God, and such we are. First John 3, he said, and such we are. <clears throat> Guys, there's a longing and a desire in all of us to know God in this way to know our Father without shame, without fear, right? Without punishment. Can I say that again? Guys, to know our Father without any shame, without any fear, and with no punishment. Guys, punishment is not in the equation. The cross is a finished deal. The heart of God is always to restore you, never to punish you. I mean, he's always looking to restore you because you forgot who you were. Straight up a Simba moment, right? You're like, I don't even know who I am. And then Simba's like, whoa, you're my dad. You're the king. That makes me a son. I'm a son of a king. I'm the next king. Whoa, let's go. That Simba moment will mess you up. You got to rewatch The Lion King if you haven't in a while. Dad shows up in the sky. You're like, whoa. Simba's like, I'm the next true king. Guys, this thing began in the garden. And in the garden, guys, there was no separation. There was only union. There was no, like, there was nothing wrong. They didn't have this 
view of themselves that something was wrong with me, that I need to present myself in a different way. They only knew one way, here I am. Guys, before sin came into the equation, no one was hiding. No one was pretending. No one was putting on a mask and trying to be something other than who they are. This is the blueprint, guys. If you miss the blueprint of how it all began, you're gonna get a little wonky. You gotta go back to the blueprint, how this whole thing began. They walked with God in the cool of the breeze. This part, hold on. But they were naked and unashamed, maybe in your house, maybe with your wife or husband one day, okay? But literally, they just walked with God naked. Nothing wrong. They knew I was fearfully and wonderfully made. They weren't trying to question it. They didn't even need a revelation of it because it's just who they were. They knew no different. A life without shame, a life without fear, a life that you know you belong. I remember at age six, seven, uh, my dad had just watered the side of the house and he was like, whatever you do, do not go running on the side of the house. That's a bad thing to say to a kid, especially me. Um, so me and my buddy are like, what's going on on the side of the house? <laughs> you know, and sure enough, I go running over there. There's these stepping stones, you know, um, and I slip and my head just goes right into the corner, like nasty gash, like multiple like stitches, but like blood's coming down, you know? And I remember that moment, I'm like, oh no, I'm afraid to go tell my dad. I, I, I know I should, but like, you know, then my dad turned the corner, he's like, what the world? You know, blood. And I mean, he handled it fine. That could have scarred me, but it didn't. Um, but what I'm trying to get at, guys, is sometimes we're like that with Father God. We do something we shouldn't do with whatever, and what do we do? Instead of going towards God, we step away from God. It says in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, the Spirit... Your spirit, you know what it's crying out right now? Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. Everybody's spirit in here is literally crying out, I have a dad. I belong. I have an Abba. I have a Father. That is a longing in your heart that you would cry out that you actually have a dad. That you're not alone. That you're not the big person in any environment. Someone's bigger that's looking out for your life. Woo! Said it last time I preached, you're gonna live your life like you have a dad or you're gonna live like you don't. That's just the reality. And, and, and if we're not living life like we have a dad, it's gonna be really hard. You're gonna feel like it's all on you. You're gonna try to figure your life out apart from him. This is where we get in the problem of creating an identity outside of God, outside of love. But God wants us to create our identity in the place of belonging, in the place of being fearfully, wonderfully made. Yeah? You doing all right? All right, all right. Matthew 4, we read this story of Jesus being tempted by the devil three times, guys. Three times he gets tempted to do what? To prove his identity. To literally, Jesus, we want, the devil's like, you need to prove your worth. You need to prove your value. You need to do something or you need to become something. Guys, and I'm telling you this, guys, it's no different for us. We will constantly be put in that same temptation by the world around us. Prove your worth, prove your value, do something or become something. 
But the revelation of sonship, it breaks the power of needing to prove yourself to others. <laughs> it breaks the power. You just are like, bye-bye performance. Hello, belonging. I mean, serious. You're like, I'm done performing for this world. Why? Because I belong. I have a father. Guys, and sonship will literally drive out the inferiority complex that most people struggle with. Guys, arrogance is rare. It is on some people, but it's very rare. What most people struggle with is the inferiority, which causes them to play life small, to think of themselves small, you know, to say, what, what can I do to play it safe? Because you don't know who you are. So you're just like, I better hide. I better not speak up right now. I better not take that risk right now. And what happens, guys, if we live that way, we will be stuck in the house of fear when God says, come into the freedom of the house of love. Come into Father's house. Guys, do you know that you are in Father's house right now? Yeah. In my Father's house, Jesus says, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and go prepare a place for you. When I come again, I'm going to bring you there. Guys, he came again in the Holy Spirit. He brought the Spirit of Christ into us. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. Where? In dad's house. That's a present word. That isn't like, I die, now I go to dad's house. Your spirit is in dad's house. You are in the father's home. Hmm, <laughs> feels good. I mean, right now you'd be like, hmm, dad's house feels nuts. Man. Uh, it says in Romans 8, 19, that creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. I don't even know what that means. It's like you're walking in the woods and you're here like from the trees. It's literally groaning. It's like, wake up so you know who you are. We're groaning that you would realize you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. The trees are like, are they getting it? No, more. You know, it's like creation groans that we would recognize that we belong to God. Because when you know you're a son or a daughter, you're going to live out the culture of God. You're going to bring the family business. You're going to make the world a more beautiful place. This is a benevolent universe that our God sits on and bringing his beauty into. But how can we do that unless we know who we are? If not, we're like, look at me, world. Love me. What do you, oh, you need me to do this to get love? Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like instead of you're just like, dude, the Lord loves me. Why would I perform right now for you? Shabbalah. Guys, you know the story of King Saul? Let me give you this one. This is a good one. The Israelites. The Israelites needed a king. They didn't need a king. They wanted a king. Let's put it like that. And guys, this can mess up your theology. We're not going to go there. But God's like, bad idea. You don't need a king. You have judges, prophets. You know, I'm your king. And they're like, nope. All the other ones, they got kings. We want a king. So God literally bends to the will of man and is like, hey, I'll give you a king. I'll give you this guy named Saul. And it says that Saul, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which out of the 12 tribes, it was the lowest tribe. And then of the tribes or, or the families in Benjamin, he was of the lowest family. However, here's the thing about Saul. The man was good looking. Seriously, the man was like, yo, Saul was literally like built well, 
head taller than everyone else, maybe seven foot, you know, like in the natural, he was a boss. But in the spirit, he had an inferiority complex. And it says on his coronation day, the day he was going to become king, instead of coming to the front so they could make him king, he's hiding in the baggage. I know, you don't even have to be prophetic to get this. He's hiding in the baggage. This is what we do. When we don't know who we are, we will hide in our baggage. That's why Proverbs 30 says this, four things the world can't bear up under, four things it can't stand. It's not healthy for the world. One of them is when a pauper becomes a king. Why? Because they are gonna be so unhealthy for every environment. They're gonna get territorial. They're gonna feel like, oh my gosh, you're taking my spot. You know, I need to be seen. Isn't this what Saul did with David? He literally went after him because of his inferiority complex. He didn't know. God had already chosen him. There was nothing else to do except accept your sonship, Saul. I picked you. But he felt like he needed to defend that. Guys, when we don't know who we are, guys, we will hide. We will protect. We'll be off. So let me ask you guys something, okay? Imagine if I said this to you. I said, have a conversation with the safest person in your life. So think of that. Who's the safest person? About what you like about God. Like, just what do you like about him? I mean, you think you can do that? Freely talk to that person. Just like, you're at a coffee shop. This is what I like about God. This is my favorite part. Now, what if I asked you this? Can you come up here right now and do that? What changed? Let me tell you this. Nothing changed with the Father's view of you or his thoughts about you. Guys, what changed is this. Your identity got squeezed. It got squeezed. My first sermon was in like 2006. I literally spoke. I had like a 20-minute, 25-minute word plan. I literally spoke for 12 minutes. I gave that sermon so fast. I sat down, the guy next to me is like, good word, but you spoke fast. I was like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not using this because like every time I get up here, I'm always nervous, but I feel like that's just dependency on the Holy Spirit. So it's not about like confidence from the front at all, even though this speaking in public is higher than like death on people's like, what do you fear? People rather be like, just kill me. <laughs> Do not put me in the front. Kill me right now. Shoot me. <laughs> I wasn't the founding pastor. I took the church over in 07. Um, but I came in the shoes of this guy who was like anointed. He was like a total prophet dude, credible visionary, great with people, one of the best bodyboarders in the world. He just had favor all over his life, you know? And then I come up and they're like, who's this dude? You know what I mean? And, and it took me a while, guys, if I'm honest, to come out of his shoes and into my own shoes. And this is the story of David when he went to fight Goliath. Saul's like, dude, just wear my armor. Wear my identity. You know, here's my sword. And David's like, dude, this stuff doesn't even fit. Do you hear that? You try to be someone else. It will never fit. And he's like, I got to get this off of me. I got three smooth stones. I'm going to kill this uncircumcised Philistine. You know, he was just like, I trust in the Lord. Hmm. Hmm.
It's so important that we're reminding ourselves who we are. It's so important. There's not a, there's not a sermon I give anymore that I don't first remind myself throughout the week, but on this day, I'm a son. I'm a son who preaches. I'm a son who teaches. I'm first a son before I'm ever a preacher. If not, guess who determines me, makes or breaks me? You guys. I used to get beat up like Monday morning, pastors all the time. They wake up and like, oh my gosh, nothing landed. Horrible sermon. You know, and it's real. I mean, that's real. But now I'm like, dude, I'm a son. Get off me. Like, I don't even need to entertain that, you know? Like, I'm loved. Great. I got on first base maybe. I don't care. And it's the same with being a husband, a dad, you know, whatever job you have, wherever. You're first a daughter, before any of those titles. You're first a son before any of those titles. Your core identity is a son or a daughter of God, nothing else. And if it becomes something else, like it will become an idol. It'll become the place you're trying to get your worth, you're trying to get your value from. And I'll say this too, the more prominent your title, like the more applause behind it, you know, or the more followers or whatever it is, like the more you're gonna have to fight for that sonship, that being a daughter, the harder that's going to be because the easier it is like, huh, there's my accolades. <laughs> I've never had 47 likes on one post. <laughs> Feels good today. <laughs> yes, just broke the thousand mark on my followers. <laughs> I know, it's too, it's too close to home. I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> my bad. You know, it'd be funny if, like, um, you know, someone was like, hey, tell me a little about yourself. And you're like, oh, you want to know about me? I'm a son. <laughs> uh, I belong. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I'm chosen. This is uh, Colossians 3. Uh, chosen. Uh, I'm holy. <laughs> and I'm actually the beloved. <laughs> you're actually uh, meeting the beloved today. <laughs> I just want you to know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> People are like, tell me what you do so I can measure you up. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, if sonship is insecure, we will live from a false self. I talked about it last sermon, but we'll try to earn love, get love, prodigal son stuff. But both getting love and earning love, they're both rooted in a false self. It's not the real you. It's not. It's a mask you created or it's armor you put on to keep others out. You're like, I'm armored up. No one's going to touch me. But when we're secure in love, guys, we don't need a mask and we don't need honor. That's why I think Jesus said the little children would inherit the kingdom. Is that good? The little children would inherit the kingdom. Why? Because children aren't going to wear a mask and they aren't going to wear armor. There's nothing to protect. There's nothing to prove. They're like, look at me. They can care less what they look like. It's parents that are like, Gosh, let me wipe your face. Let me clean you up. They're like, I don't care. I'm just going out to this world. This is a great day. <laughs> Can I put a picture of my daughter Annabelle up? This was her at six months. She's 20 months now. Yeah. Six months. So I'm having this moment with Annabelle. I'm like literally holding her. She's having this kind of face. She was such a happy baby, still is. I'm adoring her. And then right in the middle of me adoring her, she literally has the most massive poop. It was like, and I was like, and I promise you this, guys, she never batted an eye. 
She never looked away. She never had any shame. She was just like, Dad, you love me in the midst of my crap. You know, like it had no bearing on her. I mean, she was changing the atmosphere, not in the right way, but she was changing it. But Jesus said, guys, Matthew 18, unless you become like a little child, you won't inherit the kingdom. The way you inherit the kingdom is walk in innocence. Do you know that there's no intimacy outside of innocence? I know that's heavy, but like the truth is, if you don't know you're innocent, it is really hard to have intimacy because you will look away. Instead of being like, dude, I just crapped my pants. Hi, dad. Wow, you still love me. Even though there's a doo-doo in my pants right now. Dude, that's, that's wild. But that's why Jesus chose a child to help us understand what he's like, to understand what the kingdom's like, to understand how our father sees us. Mm, amen, amen. Yeah, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, before we land, though, because we've done four sermons now on um, the Father, I wanted just to invite, we'll start with the shepherds. If they're like all quiet today, that's fine. Um, but I want to just invite shepherds up first. If you guys wanted to add anything about the Father, say anything, um, whatever. So we're just going to leave it. If you don't know, I know this is a lot of your first time. I'll do open mic sometimes. And I like have no problem taking the mic from you too. So it's like, it's so fun. So you get a talk and I'm like, hey, you're getting a little long. Let me have that mic, you know? Oh, that's weird theology. Let me have that mic. <laughs> um, but that's okay. You know, and this is a living room and I showed you the shepherds so they can clean things up for you. Yeah? Okay. So I'm just going to set this here. If anyone wants to come up, feel free. actually amazing because um, Courtney and I were literally talking about this last night, and it is such a big deal what Jason is talking about, that so many of the things that we see in uh, a boss that we find is annoying, or a friend that is irritating, or even when we have a reaction, and we're like, wow, where did that come from? So often it comes from having to prove ourselves, having to... It's imposter syndrome. I don't actually believe I'm good enough to be here. And any attack on that makes me have to fight back, have to get, suddenly I lose my temper, right? But I was literally telling uh, Courtney a story uh, yesterday that um, there was a moment at work where I found myself kind of filled with fear, right? I was, uh, I had to, we had to, uh, um, me and some other people were trying to apply for some money to the government to try and solve a problem. And when I saw the amount of money, it was a big amount of money, I was instantly filled with fear. I got through the meeting, you know, we talked about it or whatever, we, we talked about the proposal and that was just in my head. I'm walking through the hallway and I think this is an important thing to ask, why did I react that? I'm walking through the hallway, I'm like, whoa, where did that fear come from? Like, what was up with that? That's actually, I think that's actually a really important step. When you have a reaction like that, you blow up at someone, you're upset or they blow up at you, like, just ask, like, what happened there? So I'm asking and uh, I realize, wow, that amount of money was how big I could fail. That's, that's where that came from, right? I mean, I asked God that, and that's what he told me. I mean, this is like amazing insight, right? Um, and that's crazy, because I hadn't even started yet, <laughs> right? Like, we haven't even done anything yet, but I'm already, like, thinking about failure, right? 
The next time, I have another meeting just like that two weeks later. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, whoa, God, I didn't even like, ask if I should be doing this. Like, this is a big deal, this project. And no sooner have I had that thought than I hear, I made you to do this. Nobody's going to do this. Nobody else is going to do this. And I will tell you how freeing that is. It's amazing. It is freeing in so many ways, right? It actually doesn't mean everything is going to go well. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it right. But actually, it completely frees me from having to be right all the time, right? That uh, this is a big project. It's hard. Like, it's working with tons of people, some of whom are really hard to work with. Or I have to, sometimes I feel like I'm, like, bringing adults to the table and be like, let's play together, nice kids. You know, <laughs> that's literally what it feels like. Because uh, adults are just big kids, if you didn't know that. Um, and there are times when, when those relationship things really hurt, right? Like, um, when someone is difficult, like... It's not that your job is hard. It's like when your boss is difficult or your coworkers being a jerk. Like those are the things that actually make our jobs really hard, right? But in this situation, when I knew, hey, God made me to do this, it means that when it's like not going well, I'm like, well, okay, like I'll take the fall for that as long as it helps everything go well. You know, because like, I don't have to prove myself. I know I'm made for this. Even if it's going badly, I'm still made for it. And that's amazingly fearing. I don't ever have to prove myself. I just care that this thing works together. I, hope, I just care that we all work together. I care that, that whatever we're working on actually goes well. It has nothing to do with whether I make money, whether I get famous, whether I look good. In fact, I want to make sure everyone else looks good. I don't care if they ever hear my name because that's the thing that's going to make it sustainable. That way of thinking can only come from knowing that my father has chosen me and he made me for this. It doesn't actually, nothing else really matters. So, yeah. Good word. Um, I was thinking, you know, Jason started off talking about the, the three-legged stool, and we need, you know, Father, Son, and the Spirit. And I, I don't know about you, like, it's easy for me to, to see Jesus, think about Jesus as a loving God. And, and I read about him in the Gospels, and I'm like, man, I connect with that. And then the Spirit, right? You read through Acts, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, yes, more of that. And where I've struggled with, and I don't know if this connects with anybody in here, but, like, and my father is, is an amazing man and right? There's baggage, right? I mean, I, I spent years under his roof as a teenager for part of it, right? I'm most to blame. Um, but there's some baggage that carries, that's carried with the, with the word father. Um, and I think the, the thing that really resonates with me, especially today, is that thought of like, I have, if for all, like, and I'm a father and I have a lot of I've made a ton of mistakes that I've owned up to. I hope most of them with my daughters. Um, I love my daughters. I would step in front of a bullet for my daughters. And I am a very imperfect father. And we have a father in heaven that loves us, that is so proud of us. And I think it's like, I just keep going back to you, Lord, deconstruct my thought of, a, of what father is and replace that with what you want me to see what you want me to know how you see me how you think of me and how you feel of me
Hello. Okay. Uh, so, uh, something I think that I'm like continually like being brought to back to this last year is the joy of the father and the, the father continuously brings me back to like whenever I first saw my kids and the, uh, the joy I felt by them just simply taking one movement toward me and, or the joy, even though I was crying, it was still joy. It's like when my son was born, he had just like, they hadn't even cleaned him off yet. I was crying with joy that like I have a son and just from the fact of his presence. And it was rooted simply in the fact of in my love toward him. The father's joy is secure in who he is. He doesn't need us to be something for him to be joyful about who we are to him. He's like, that's my son. They smiled today. And somehow we think that maybe it's because it's kind of like this in our lives. As we grow older, sometimes it's like, we don't have that fascination, that joy coming at us all the time. Like, you know, kids are just like submerged in it. And whenever they're in a home like that, they're like just around, either from siblings, their parents, whatever. And, but God's not like, hey, you, didn't, you never graduated the joy I feel towards you. And I have my perspective of joy I have towards you just because you're 18, 19, 20, 40, 50 years old. Like the same way that you, Taylor, responded when you, when you finally got a laugh out of your child. And it's the same way I feel towards you now, 30 years later. You laughed. Wow. My son laughed. Do you hear? Does anyone hear his laugh? Like the father's perspective does not shift because we grow older or because we have history with the world or whatever. He's like, that is my son in whom I well please. That is my daughter in whom I'm so, oh my gosh, they smile today. Wow. Like, and sometimes we feel like, well, I'm feeling all this pain. Maybe the father is a little less joyful. Like, I think the fact that you feel pain is a sign that you're not numb. And that's actually the father's like, hey, I can do something with that. I can show you that if you can feel pain, that means you can also know love. And like the father is joyful. He's full of joy to reveal to you that his joy towards you. The scripture, David, he mentioned David a couple of times, says in God's presence, this was pre-Jesus. Jesus had not come and perfectly revealed the father yet. But David, even hundreds of years prior, has this revelation that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. And I'm like, Father, please help me. It's only by knowing his perspective that I even have any idea of what joy is. The Father looks upon us with joy. So I was just, that was just, I was like, man, who is the Father to me? It was just such a good message of like, sonship is just so rooted in the Father's perspective. And that's what God kept bringing back to my mind. It's like, do you know the joy that I have towards you and around you? that you've been birthed into. You've been birthed into not a stoic trinity, uh, but you've been birthed into a trinity, a three-in-one fellowship that is full of joy. Amen, like that is such good. He's a f joyful father. So anyways, I wanted to share that. It was, it was really wrecking me.